Welcome to the Celtic Way podcast, where we look to bring a fresh vision of spiritual life by nurturing a vibrant, evolving, and sustainable life with God in nature. Celtic spirituality is an ancient tradition of seeing God in everyone and in everything. Welcome, everybody, to the Celtic Way podcast. Great to be with you as always, and always great to be with the creative director for Celtic Way, none other than Scott Jenkins, <laughs> the infamous <laughs> or the famous, or you know, depending on who you are, it's yes. uh, it's it's the it's our fearless leader. And today, what we're going to do this is a little bit different than what we've done in the past, Scott. But we're going to talk about some questions that often often get posed to you, I guess I'll say. And when you're yeah. in this line, this this line of work, I guess we'll call it, or this career <laughs> path, people assume that you have answers for them. Right, they do. Two huge questions, you know, <laughs> like, when is the end of the world, you know? Yeah, so we're going to avoid some of those questions, but we are going to address some questions that I think would be helpful to the listeners and to people who are just uh, connected to Celtic way as a whole. So why don't you share, just, just give us a little bit of intro of kind of, um, I'll ask the questions to make sure that we're answering the right questions, but share a little bit about kind of the interaction that you have with people um, when maybe they pose some of these questions for you. Yeah. Well, it, so on a very informal way, somebody will introduce me to somebody. And of course, what's your name? What's the second thing we ask each other in America is what do you do? You know, so I said, well, <laughs> I'm a creative director for a nonprofit called Celtic Way. What's that? And now it begins, you know, and so I tell them what we do and what we're about. And they're like, wow, really? Is that a Christian thing? I mean, do you, I mean, do you still see yourself? Is that a Christian? That's not a church thing. Well, so here we go. We begin unpacking that. Or I think one of the one of the most difficult times was during a question and answer program uh, at a at a local very large church um, where somebody said, "How do you still see yourself as a Christian when you believe all this other stuff?" And it, it wasn't asked in a very nice tone. It was like almost belligerent, you know. And I was like. <laughs> Oh, you know, that's such a good question. Well, then you, you know, the guy's like, then you better have a damn good answer. I was like, okay, well, yeah, let's talk about this. Let's roll into it, you know. So those are a couple places. Um, when we're talking to people, we have a little thing on Thursdays that people call it at 12 o'clock. There's no agenda. So people call and it has become this group from around three or four different states where people have, are called because they don't have a community, you know? They're older, they're younger, they're not working, they work from home. Um, and it's with these questions appear all the time. It's like, man, I'd really like to embrace this, but I don't want to go outside the hallway of my faith journey, you know? I'd like, I want to make sure that I'm believing correctly and understand what's underneath that statement is more than just objective answers you know it's like feelings and fears and the past and yeah. yeah yeah so it comes it comes from all over the place you know yeah, yeah. i bet i bet 
So we'll, we'll pose a few of the questions that, that you've said you get a lot. Hey, uh, side note, you know how in America we always ask after, you know, the second question we always ask is what people do for a living. Susie, my wife hates that question because a lot of people hate what they do for a living. Change that into, she will ask them their name or whatever in pleasantries. And then she'll say, well, what are your passions? And I think that's such a oh. approach it. So I'm yeah, just saying that out there I mean, for anybody who would like to use it. I like it. You tell her, thank you. And I probably owe her an apology because I mean, I remember when I met her and, Oh, what do you do? And she's like rattling off all these jobs she does. And, that, and even, even after you guys left, Chris is like, you never asked that question. What did you? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So passions. All right. Yes. Yes. That's so that's what we've started to adopt. Thanks yeah. to her. All right. So, Back to the questions. Question number one. Here we go. So I've heard you say that church doesn't meet the needs anymore on the level it once did. I agree. I no longer go to church. How does Celtic Christianity speak to us in meaningful ways and also provide community? Something like that. Uh, yeah, no, no, that's it. You know, and it's both, it's both theological and ecclesiological. And, but it's also like really down to like, where do I find my tribe and on a regular basis? You know, so, yeah. So the first part of the question, um, uh, this, this really comes up in our staff meeting where I'm the chaplain often. We've seen such a migration away from institutional church, from people, I mean, who have been active and longtime positive members. And it's not that they're like pissing all over the church now. That's not it. They're just kind of shaking their heads and like, this is not doing it for me anymore. So then the question leads to, for me, it's like, so what is the... And I don't mean this like in a business sense, not that there's anything wrong with business, but it's like, what is the goal? What is the telos? What is the purpose? Why are we on this Christian journey to begin with? Let's look at that, you know. And um, and what I'm finding out, and I pointed out around the room, okay, so some people have started a small group Lexio within within the working community. They meet at lunchtime or they meet before work, and they're very consistent about it. Um, some people get together and pray the welcoming prayer five days a week, you know, things like that. I have really good friends who really are re-engaging the AA network. I mean, they always have before, but now what they're bringing is a, is a broader and deeper engagement because I think they're realizing the depth of their own need in the spirituality of what AA can bring. Whereas it's just always kind of been there for them, they're really tapping into it now. Um, and some one of the groups has just started Richard Rohr's book about breathing underwater, that whole AA thing. So that's really, that's been very helpful. What I'm, so I'm seeing a lot of groups like this from people who no longer go to church. Now I've been a, was a pastor my whole career, right? 30 some years. We still go to church. We like our church. It's just the St. John's Episcopal Cathedral in Denver. It's just a cool place. And they're very social active and they're very caring. But that can't be the only thing that's going on in my life because we haven't found a small community where we can really go deeper there. So we created one outside of the church. 
And we don't see it in competition. We see it more as something that goes with it. That's kind of what I'd like all these other people to see, but they're like, no, 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 I'm not going back. I, I you know, I want to really delve into to a safe place where I can share what's going on in my life. And honestly, Scott, one of the things that the institutional church does is it avoids these tough topics. And I understand as a, as a former pastor, it's just like there's some things, you know, you don't want to talk from the pulpit. It might shock a lot of people. But I struggle with that now, too, because I see sometimes the more transparent people are, the deeper and quicker we get there. And it becomes a very real place. As like one of the guys I do, I used to do Lexio Divina um, outside of um, St. John the Worker with homeless people. And, and man, they just went deep quickly. They have nothing to hide, nothing to lose, right? So there's a relationship between how transparent I want to be, how honest and open, vulnerable I want to be, because let's make the gospel really work here. Let's apply it right here. And I'm, I, I don't ever encourage people to rush down that path. Trust has to be earned and then born. But um, I find a lot of depth in small faith communities in a relatively short amount of time. People are committed, they're consistent, and then they're very real when they're there. So I don't see the church doing that well right now. They do other things really well, but not that. And I think people need depth. They need All right. I'm just going to say this because it happened to me two days ago. I went to a workshop about how to get through the tough times. And this guy laid out a four-point program. And on the one hand, I could say yes to each one of them. And on the other hand, I walked out of there going, okay, I know that Jesus died for my sins if you buy into that whole thing. I know that the Holy Spirit is with me and you can trust that and so on and so forth. I know that, you know, in some way the church is a place of the saved, the community. It just really bothered me when I was like, and all this stuff. But what it doesn't do, what it doesn't do is doesn't get into the depth and the intricacies and the hard stuff, you know, about how does this work? How does it translate out? And I think what we need to do today in these small groups that I see popping up that I'm a part of is we'll sit down with something that somebody will present because it's a real life issue. We're not talking academic and, and intellectual trips here. This isn't like real shit. It's like people are talking about the anxiety of the ecological world going off the deep end about nuclear war. You know, I'm serious. This is about the lack of food or the water. And, you know, how, how do we live with that anxiety running through our lives every day? I'm sorry. You can't just tell me Jesus died for my sins. Trust that. Everything's going to be just fine. No, we need, we need these incubator little groups, right, where the heat is turned up. And sometimes people can say, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I'm really struggling. I'm really trying to find out how this works. We need communities that are not afraid of difficult questions, of holding tension for a period of time that's very uncomfortable, and realizing that being loving 
vulnerable uh, people in the world is a real gift. So I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, no. Well, yeah, it's not my question. It's everybody's question, Scott. So you did a great job. It it kind of reminded me, I recently had a conversation with a a counselor and an author. She just put out a book and the, the tagline, the title says it all. It's called it's called faith doesn't erase grief. And it reminds me, and it's with that in mind that a lot of times in church circles, uh, when you go through grief or when you go through hard times, or when you go through a worldwide pandemic, people want to say, well, because of Jesus, because of heaven, because your sins are forgiven, it's all fine. But that, and we can know that in our mind or believe that in our mind all we want, but that doesn't make it fine, actually. Uh, not at all. <laughs> no. no. All right. Question number two of three. And this is an interesting one because I bet a lot of people wonder about this if they don't dig in a little bit. But speaking of Celtic Christianity, does Celtic Christianity anchor itself in a historic real christianity i'll put real in in air quotes yeah or is this some sort of new age thing revisited we had a lot of talk about new age religion not too long ago uh is this just a different iteration of that yeah i I get that that's pretty frequent really it is and um I, you know, so I always have to bite mine. I'm just going to get this out there. This is almost kind of mean on my part, but it's just like, I think there's just been such a dumbing down in Christianity. People don't know very much at all about the history of the church. I mean, you know, it's pretty boring or else it's pretty damn awful or it's like, who cares? And because I got enough problems on my plate today. So there, I said that and I'm done with that. But I, I think that, well, even in the latest evangelical circle that um, I was in, there's this renewed sense of, gosh, did you know, it's almost gone. did you know there was a whole group of people between the apostles and Martin Luther? Yeah, there was a few, you know, there was like 1400 and some years in there. But yeah, the church was doing really well, actually, before we printed the Bible so everybody could read it, you know. But, you know, so I, I learned almost an elevator speech to talk about how early Christianity came, let's just say to the UK, let's just focus on the British Isles. Um, I'm still thinking about going there. Um, I mean, very early. A late day would be 200 AD. I think maybe it even came before then. And when it, when it came and began to really set up shop, it set up shop in such a different way. It set up monasteries and it was led by monks and uh, these men and women who were devoted to becoming uh, ever deeper disciples of Jesus, right? Um, It wasn't about planning a church, creating a diocese, planning more churches, calling a bishop, organizing, you know, it was about growing crops, raising animals, following a rhythm of prayer five times a day, reading the scriptures in a Lectio Divina manner, and asking the hard questions like, what does it mean for our spiritual journey as a community in this new world that we find ourselves in? What does it mean for the battles that I'm doing against my false self as a, as a disciple? And then it was, you know, work in the fields and feed the animals and give away the excess crops and, um, and to shear the animals and make clothing 
And if they had extra animals, bless the village with it. Until the villagers learned to trust these people who were, get this, reflecting the life of Jesus without even saying his name to these people in the village, right? They were being loving, and they were being kind, and they were being forgiving, and they were being vulnerable, and they were being helpful. They didn't think about their own selves first. They thought about the needs of the people in the village. So that eventually, you know, when people were working in the fields and the kids were in the way, they would say to the monks, can we bring our kids to and drop them off? You know, it was the probably the first religious daycare thing ever set up, you know. And the, and the monks would teach these kids how to read. How to read what? How to sing what songs? The Psalms were at the centerpiece of, of Celtic Christian monastery prayer. So eventually, just by being Christians, these people brought Christianity to the, to the aisles and didn't throw stones at, at all the things that they believed before, but rather began to incorporate things that they believed and show and, and broadening the Christian theology to say, I mean, look at how many things in the Psalms, for example, it talks about nature. What is a righteous man like? A tree firmly planted, right? So they began to build bridges, Christian bridges, with pagan people, bringing in their, their beliefs and saying, look, they're right here. So it wasn't an either-or thing. It was a nice blend, a very, very unique blend that talked about God's presence in nature. It talked about uh, the gift of equality of men and women, which is not always in the Bible, but every once in a while it appears in the Old Testament. And there were a lot of heroes in the Old Testament literature and Celtic people loved stories about heroes and heroines. And so what I, what I tell people is <clears throat> that before the Nicene Creed was created, right, um, the Celtic Christians were reading people like Jerome and uh, early Augustine's readings, and they had some of their own writers. I always hesitate to mention Pelagius because the only thing people in America know about Pelagius was he was branded a heretic. They've never read him. They don't, under, you know. So there again. Um, but when people do listen and they learn about the development of the faith, how grounded it is in prayer and, and charity and good works of people, um, they weren't notching their belt about how many people got saved. They were concerned about bringing faith and nourishing a deepening faith in the Christ whose, whose presence was at the heart of every Christian monastery in the, in the United Kingdom. And they had signs and wonders. You know, that's the thing. It's, I mean, signs and wonders are all over early Christian Celtic literature. You know, people prayed, they believed, and things happened. And... Um, it's very much like reading the Acts of the Apostles, you know. So I, I try to ground it because it's true that it was in, Christ, in, in Christian scriptures. 
I think even broader than that, if you would ask an ancient Celtic Christian person, why, what is it you believe? I think the first thing they would point to is their personal experience. Their ongoing personal experiences, both as individuals and community. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. They're not like pointing to a text. They love the text. But they're like, no, this Jesus that once was dead is alive. Oh, by the way, yeah, we know. <laughs> he lives within us and through us. So, yeah, yeah. That's, where, that's where I go with that. So good. So good. And then the final question that we have, and this might be the most important one, when we're talking about faith, when we're talking about Christianity, is any of it even remotely relevant to what could only be described as enormous multifaceted needs all over the world that we're facing today. No, that's not important. <laughs> no, it's, it's all irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, what's not relevant are things like food fights. Do you know what I mean by that? Like what's communion? Is it real presence? Is it, it's all that kind of stuff. It's like, did Jesus die for your sins? Is there another way to look at atonement? Um, and there's a place. We can have that conversation after and during, and during a call. I think the call that needs to go out to the Christian church today is uh, have this mind uh, in you that was in Christ Jesus, who uh, didn't I can't remember how the verse, I didn't assume being the son of God was the biggest deal in the world, but emptied himself and became a servant, right? That's enough Christology for me. Imitate that. The incarnation is meant for us to uh, be embody um, what Jesus did and taught. We can have those other conversations. I'm not saying that doctrine's not important. I just don't think it's the most important thing when the streets in Denver before the pandemic may have had 1,500 homeless people and now has over 4,000. You'll see them when you come. It's, ugh. Or the racism that still goes on in this country or the inequality between the haves and the have-nots. You know, now when, when we're invited to do things or I talk with pastors, they 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 assume that Celtic Christianity has something to do with ecology, which I'm glad that they do. And they're, and they're saying to me, could you, could you visit our church and just look and see what happens before and after the service and give us some, some tips, some ideas. And it just freaks me out when I go into a church and I see stacks of bottled water and, and all these styrofoam cups that I didn't even know people made anymore or you just look at stuff that could be composted or recycled and they don't have, I mean, those are such small things, right? And, um, and then I think how desperate some congregations are to have members that, you know, people in, in my generation, they'll still drive 30 minutes to go to the church that they once went to that moved out into the suburbs, you know, but that's my church and I'm going to do this carbon footprint by God to get there and come back as I drive by 30 churches on the way. 
I, I mean, someday we've got to take a, a take a look at stuff like that. But we have to if we're not relevant, if we don't see the ecological dilemma, if we don't think that making peace between people, if those aren't gospel values, we got the wrong gospel, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Scott. Any other uh, closing thoughts that you can think of? Any other questions you want to address? Or did we give enough for uh, folks to chew on for one day? Well, I think we probably gave them enough. But I want somebody out. This is, well, what do you think is going to happen to Christianity? It will go where it produces life. And it will die where it doesn't. That's good news. I'm confident in that. To support the Celtic Way podcast, be sure to subscribe to it, give it a five-star rating, and write a review. And if you'd like to become a sustaining member, please go to our website at www.celticway.org. Find us on Facebook at Celtic Way.